Hey, yo, baby, yo, baby, yo, this is PN News. You're watching the Insider's Edge podcast. The following announcement has been paid for by the WZWA Network. Hi, everybody. This is former WWE superstar Al Snow. And TWN is Sean Oliver. My name is Eugene. And you are watching the Insider's Edge podcast. Now get on the train. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Insider's Edge podcast here on the WZWA Network. I am your host with the most on the West Coast, California in Fury. It is good to be with you all once again. I know I say the same thing every time I do an intro, but you know, I gotta keep it, I gotta keep it the same each time. I'm sorry if it's a bit of a drag, but it is what it is. What isn't a drag though is the fact that I get to interview one of the most underrated big men in the history of professional wrestling here tonight and today for him. He is the one and only PN News. How are you going, my friend? Hey, brother. Thanks. California, brother. How you doing down there, down under? Yeah, okay? doing, doing good. Yeah, doing good, man. I, I live in a pretty isolated hit. city, so yeah. we don't really have uh, any problems with COVID at the moment. Um, I think we had a security guard recently at one of the hotels. He caught something. He was out and about in public after that, but we've had no community transmission from that case. So in the last 10 months, I don't think we've had any community transmission with the uh, COVID. So we've been pretty lucky. Well, that's good to hear. That's good to hear. I've had a few family members that had it, but uh, fortunately nobody's uh, fallen to their death from it. They've all recovered. So, Well, that's good to hear. Um, it has been a, a, a tough year for a lot of people, but uh well, it's, it's, it's a joy right now to have the chance to talk to you a little bit about your career. I'm hoping that this will go down as your favorite interview that you've ever had. Um, just putting the pressure <laughs> on myself there. I, uh, I'd like to uh, ask straight up at the beginning of the show to every guest we have, when they were a young man, how they became a wrestling fan. Wow. Uh, well, you know what? When I was a kid growing up, I'd come home after church. Uh, Grew up in a Catholic uh, relationship, Catholic family. After church, you'd get there, we'd, church would be, we'd go to eight, eight o'clock mass. I'd come home, turn on the TV. It was Sunday, so there was no cartoons on, but guess what was on? Professional wrestling. So <laughs> I used to watch the, the AWA, the Ganyas. I saw Andre the Giant and uh, guys like Dick the Butcher, Dick the Bruiser, um, guys like that. And uh, the, I just kind of got, I got hooked at that point as a kid and uh, it was, that's how I started enjoying it. And then up until my teen years and uh, when I was watching on TBS, I was watching the old NWA, uh, Georgia Championship Wrestling and uh, that kind of stuff, Ric Flair and, and uh, you know, the mass superstar, mass superstar. He was, for me, one of the best heels of all time. You know, he, he kind of, he was that first guy I really ever hated, you know? So uh, I was, yeah, that's kind of how I got hooked up uh, into enjoying wrestling as a kid. Yeah. Wow. That's cool, man. Um, I guess uh, as you're growing up, you know, you're a kid and you're a fan of wrestling. As you're growing up, you're realizing that you're probably one of the bigger kids at school and you're still a wrestling fan. At p what point do you think, you know what? I'm a big kid. I'm a big guy now. I want to get into this wrestling thing. I could fit in. 
I, you know what? I honestly never thought about it. But um, what happened was like when we were in high school, when I was in high school, junior high, you know, I had some, I, I always hung out with, I was a bigger kid. So I always hung out with, I was playing, I was playing varsity football as, you know, at a young age and, and I was hanging out with the older kids and then I would, we do track and in the, uh, the high jump pit, we used to back, back, trot, drop each other in the high jump pit and okay. stuff like that. <laughs> we used to wrestle down in the assembly room when we were practicing choir because I had a, I got a great voice. I mean, it's obvious, right? But, but we, uh, we used to sing, we used to mess around down there. And, and then I kind of got into college football and I was playing. And at one point I just got fed up with the politics of college football. So I thought I'd try the politics of professional wrestling. Um, <laughs> I was bouncing around the country. I, I, I went and saw some friends up in Wisconsin. I got a job bouncing at a door five days a week in Madison, Wisconsin at a place called Bucks Madison Square Garden. And if you know, Madison Square Garden is in New York, of course, but in Madison, and it was just off the square. So he called it Bucks Madison Square Garden. I ended up throwing uh, throwing like four guys out at once out <laughs> of the bar. And, and the thing was, is there was these two big windows and everybody in the bar could see what's going on. And I ended up leaping. I like ended, ended up leaping over the trunk of a car and tackling some guy in the middle of the street. And I told him never to come back into my bar again. And I walked back in and the whole place went. Ah, right? <laughs> and, so, uh, and so the state treasurer of Minnesota was in the bar at the time. And he says to me, so he starts buying me shots. And he goes, you ever thought about being a professional wrestling wrestler? And I said, uh, no. He goes, well, here's, here's my number, right? I called right. him about five weeks later and he hooked me up to go to Brad Rangan's camp. And there I was, I was, uh, I was training to be a professional wrestler. Oh, that's amazing, man. It's all because they saw you <laughs> doing your job. Yeah, they saw me yeah, doing my job, right? <laughs> that was all, that's all it takes sometimes. <laughs> that's really cool it's, a, it's it's funny how people get discovered uh and, and and brought into something like professional wrestling uh so tell me a little bit about your training before you had your first match because we had someone on the show that you had your first match with so i have heard that story from his side oh uh, bull payne's been on your show <laughs> yes he has he I was love that guy. He, oh he he carried me like you wouldn't believe i'll <laughs> tell you why no i, I mean i yeah, I, I ended up, uh, yeah, my training, like I said, I went through Brad Rangan's camp. So I was the biggest guy. And of all the guys, there was like eight eight or ten guys that went through it. And you had a session in the morning or you could go at night. I ended up, I had nothing else going on, but I was bouncing at night sometimes. And what I would do is I would go to both sessions because I wanted to learn. And actually, the Nasty Boys, the Nasty Boys were actually – two of the guys that were helping training and they'd just gone through the camp like six months before me. Right. Oh, okay. Yeah. And, but anyway, so we were doing, you know, I did that, went through the camp, but I'll tell you what I had, Brad, like I said, the, the, the state treasurer of Minnesota a guy named Bob Matson, he ended up getting me like press before I'd even had a match. I was, there was, there was articles about me in the newspaper up in Minneapolis, St. Paul. And, uh, he ended up, you know, it ended up getting really good press and Vern Gagne had no choice but to use me. And the house was up at the Minneapolis Auditorium. The house was up by like 3,000 people. And, you know, and it was because of all the press it was getting, right? 
Right. Like at that time, the WWF was was hot, you know, and and AWA A was on the on the downside, but we still had ESPN. So I did I did that show. Houses up. I had the Guardian Angels, twelve Guardian Angels, escort me to the ring. Right. That was before. That was before they did it with um, what's his name, the One Man Gang, right? That, right. I, I was the first guy they came to the ring with. And uh, anyway, it was it was really cool. It was, uh, but I was nervous as hell. I think we did four minutes, and and if it wasn't for him, you know, I I probably never would have lasted uh, that year out. So it was pretty good. <laughs> that's cool, man. Good. Yeah. So that's the first of March, nineteen eighty-seven, uh, in Minneapolis against yep. uh, Rick Gantner, who would later known as Rick Paul, Paul Gantner, Payne, yep. and uh, yep. uh, also one half of the Texas Hangman. Uh, when he told the story of the first match on uh, in that, that you had with him, uh, he said, you know, sometimes he still has nightmares thinking about that splash you gave him in the match. <laughs> oh, come on. It wasn't that bad. I wasn't doing the top rope splash at the time. So, but, yeah, maybe I, I might have been a little bit stiff, you know. So I possibly... No, but all the respect in the world for Bull Payne. You know, Rick, great guy, tremendous, tremendous athlete. We never, we never really got back together in the ring after that, but uh, definitely uh, one of the, one of the unsung great wrestlers, you know, that he's one of those guys that would be on the card and he'd be carrying somebody and making, he'd be, he'd be making everybody look a million dollars. You know yeah. what I mean? Tremendous, tremendous talent. Got Absolutely. Me too, bro. And, and, and that's kind of what this show is about. Uh, we, we like to uh, really, Put out the unsung heroes of the wrestling business and he certainly is one of them you know and everyone's story in professional wrestling as far as i'm concerned is as important as one another because everyone has a story to tell everyone's had highs and lows and peaks and valleys and uh that's just what i you know that's just my thought process with this podcast is to get the stories of everyone out there not just worry about the same stories you've heard with the top guys years and years and years everyone's stories as important as one another. Uh, uh, no, I agree. I agree with that. You know what I mean? I'm not, not really plugging myself. I just, I, you know, I haven't done a lot of these podcasts. I just started doing them again. Um, it's, you know, it's, it, it's worth it for me. And uh, I just didn't, I really got a lot out of my career. I enjoyed it so much that, you know, I still can give back at this point uh, by telling what I've been through, whatever I can remember, because you know, letting people slam me over the years, letting people slam me over the years. I've, I've ended up landing on my head a few times. So whatever I can remember and whatever I haven't pissed away on the bottle, you know what I mean? Um, but but yep. I'm sharing it. With That's cool, bro. Well, I, again, I thank you for sharing it with me here today. Uh, you mentioned Brian Nobbs and Jerry Sags. I, yeah. I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't ask if you had any stories of, uh, them in that that at the time young guys in, in the business that must have been uh quite fun all right, to be all right okay all right I'll, okay this is this is it there's a, even more than ryan knobs and sags right this okay it's something that, that happened to me you know like i was too big for somebody to like take advantage of me and really shoot on me and hurt me or anything like that but they had to break in somehow and back in those days uh, the ribbing and, and, you know, hazing was part of the job. You know what I mean? It made you, it, that which does not kill you only makes you stronger. So what happened to me back then was, uh, it was like, uh, 
I think it was my second or third match, and uh, we I had to drive to Grand Forks, North Dakota, from Minneapolis, about a four or five hour drive. Yeah. So we're there, and it's like a who's who of the AWA at the time. You've got Kurt Henning, Colonel De Beers, Jimmy Jimmy Suzu. Uh, uh, gosh, now you see this is my brain going. Now. <laughs> but you got Jimmy. Jimmy uh, anyway, anyway, there's it's, it's like Larry Zabisco, Everybody, uh, you you you've got all these guys there, and what happened is I didn't have a place to stay in the hotel where the boys were at was sold out and so the rockers were there and they said uh they go hey you know don't worry about it you know you can sleep in somebody's room so we're all getting drunk in the bar and you know things are happening things are getting dropped in drinks and all that kind of thing i kind of knew what was going on but i just didn't i didn't you know i don't i didn't take any fear and uh anyway we ended up in the rockers room and i'm getting taken for my wages uh, i get played poker with henning and zabisco and and the beers, you know, so they take me for, you know, my deposit, you know, whatever I got as, as, a, as a payout that night. Right. And I end, up, I end up passing out. And so all the boys come around. Well, the next morning I'm waking up on the floor in the, rock, in the rocker's room. I get up, take a piss. I'm pissing. I keep going like this and rubbing my eyebrows. I haven't looked in the mirror and rub my eyebrows. And I'm just like, it's, it's, it's kind of numb. So anyway, <laughs> finally, after I piss and wash my hands, and I look up in the mirror both my eyebrows are gone and there's a line sitting down the middle of my head and I'm going, the bastard's got my eyebrows, right? So two seconds, two seconds later, Kurt Henning's on this door and he's notorious for that stuff, right? Yeah. So what happened? What happened? So, you know, they're going to put, uh, they're going to put somebody on it as, as a special detective to, to look into the matter and make sure that everything's going on or that they, they can find out who did this to me and everything like that. And they all know good and well who did it. And <laughs> in the end, it was, it was Nobs and Sags and, and Henning, Henning started it, but Nobs and Nobs and Sags went a little bit over the top, got the line down the middle of my head, but I never took it personally. And, 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 and it was cool because at that point, Henning kind of took me under his under his arm, and he said, "Hey, come on, you you drive with me." So I mean, and, until I left the AWA and went out to Portland, Oregon, I I rode with Henning every time after that. So it was, you know, for me, it was an education. And then I was getting, and then I was getting taught a real education. Because Henning was going, you know what? You're not going to understand this till you're about five years in the business. But when you do, you're it's going to go. Oh, that's what he meant. And I'll tell you what, it was about two years later and I'm out in Portland and I'm going, that's what he meant. Right. <laughs> you know, such a, such a great, uh, you know, great education uh, to start out like that. And, and then I went out to Portland and, and I even got more of an education from there. I went to Germany, Japan. I was, you know, I was in Japan before my first year was out. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it was, yeah, it was pretty, pretty cool. Yeah, that's awesome, man. I mean, to, to be traveling with Kurt Hennig, I mean, right there. Uh, and of course, the, the shaved eyebrows, well, he's notorious for being involved with stuff like that. I believe uh, he shaved off the one, two, three kids' eyebrows the day before a pay per view once. Uh, <laughs> Dude, it was, right, it was right before I went out to TV. I did my, it was like two matches before I went out and did my first TV out the, out the steamboat in, uh, in Vegas when they were doing it out there. So it was kind of, yeah, it was a, yeah, Kurt was notorious for that stuff, but I, you know, I didn't. I was, I was not ill about it at all. I was, <laughs> I was actually kind of laughing about it because I just never took my 
my looks too seriously, you know. Like, yeah, no, fair enough. And I think that's probably why they they liked you is because you didn't take it seriously, and uh, that was it was probably a test. You know what I mean? Um, oh, of course it is. That's what hazing's all about. Yeah, you know what I mean. You know, like I said, that which does not kill you, it, it makes you stronger and it builds your character. And if you take yourself too seriously in the wrestling industry, you're never going to be able to succeed. That's it. Um, so you've mentioned Portland. You, you you worked there as the avalanche for Don Owen. Um, yeah. Tell me a little bit about, uh, you know, moving from the AWA to your next territory and, you know, and how did you find that experience? Well, it was, you know what, it was a guy named Shinji Takano. He was doing the Super Ninja gimmick. Yeah. And he, uh, he's the one who taught me, he's, let's go to Portland because things were dying down and they were only right. doing like five shows a month in Minneapolis. He says, let's go to Portland. I know the booker, Rip Oliver at the time, right? Well, so we drove out there and Shinji got hired right away and Sandy Barr started using me on Thursday nights in, uh, in Salem, Salem, Oregon, right? And then uh, Rip Oliver took off and went to the WWE. I mean, he lasted about five minutes, but he, he, you know, he had an opportunity to go there. And Lynn Denton came up from Texas, took uh, over Louisiana, and took over the book, right? Grappler. And uh, Grappler gave me an opportunity. And uh, as a, and I was coming in as a baby face and Don Owens liked me for whatever reason. He, he, he liked me and, but as a big baby face in a small territory, I had a li- I can only have a limited run. So I was gonna I was gonna get let go. And Don says to you know I got my two week notice, and this was after like three months. And Don goes to uh, Lenny goes, Jesus Christ, Lenny, you ever thought about turning the kid heel? And and Lenny goes, No, I didn't think of that. So they turned me heel, put me with Chris Cold as a manager, and then later with a guy named Mike Golden as a tag team partner. And I learned a lot from Mike. And then I came up with a, a gimmick called uh, the Beach Boys. And they pushed that really. They, 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 I mean, and, and, and Lenny fell for it. Don loved it. And they and, and I got me tagged up with Buddy Rose. And then I even learned right. more from Buddy Rose. So me and Buddy, you know, so I had a tag belt run with Mike Gold, a tag belt run with uh, Buddy Rose against the Southern Rockers, Steve Dahl and Scott Peterson at the oh, time. Cool, yeah. And uh, it was just, it was, uh, it was a great experience. And from there, I got noticed by Fujinami out of New Japan. And, and he actually ended up getting me booked for Germany. So, like, I mean, I went from strength to strength to strength. I mean, all in, like, just in one year. And I just tried to pick up as much knowledge as I could. I got into the ring with, with, uh, with guys on a, on a Saturday afternoon before TV. And they were pressed. They were impressed with that, that I just, all I wanted to do was learn. So I, I, I tried to pick up as much as I could, as quick as I could. You know? So right. but it, was, it was, it was, it was great because I went from wrestling five times a month to wrestling seven nights a week. And if you're wrestling seven times a week, you're going to pick stuff up. Right. And, uh, and that's, that's how I learned. I mean, these kids, a lot of these kids today, they don't even, you know, they might wrestle five times a year. You know what I mean? So you can imagine how the knowledge was coming into my head compared to how it's coming into a lot of these younger kids nowadays. Just, it was just dude. And, and I absorbed it. I was 20, 20 years old at the time. So I just absorbed it as quick as I could. Right. Yeah. That's amazing that, you know, uh, so that's such a whirlwind of things to happen in one year, but, uh, it, you know, it's so true. If you're doing it seven days a week, 
probably sometimes doing double shots as well, you're going yeah. to fast track your learning process so, so much. And as far as, you know, learning how to do your thing in front of the crowd and listen to the crowd and, and, and working with your opponents. Whereas like today, a lot of people only have one match a month because they're in one company, especially in Australia, you might be lucky to wrestle once a month in front of a crowd. Yeah. And I but if you've got think... a ring to work in, if you've got a ring that you can train in, is the key is to get into the ring with the veterans and learn as much as you can yeah. for them, from them. And, and and my knowledge didn't come from working with the young kids. My knowledge came from working with the older guys that, that knew what they were doing because some of these older guys couldn't do what the younger kids could do. So you had to learn to work and, you know, to, to, you know, curb your own, what you wanted to do and what you wanted to do to somebody you had to learn how to curb that and make it work uh, in, in all situations, you know? So um, that was, that was crucial. And then you said about doing double shots when I started working uh, for all-star promotions and, and, and some of the promotions over in England, I would go, I would go there in the summer and I would do, we'd be doing the summer tours. I would do 14, 15 shows a week <laughs> and you were dead. You were dead. And that would be, that would be like, I do like on a Wednesday, I do three or four shows. Right. And, you know, I was finished by Friday and then on the weekend we'd go up to the pleasure beach in Blackpool. I don't know if you know about Blackpool, but that's where you did the, you did the challenges. So you'd have, uh, you'd, uh, you, you know, you'd be out there and you'd stand as a champion and you'd have challenges and people come up and challenge you. And then okay. you'd fill up the, they'd pay like two pounds to come in and you do two shows on the, on a Saturday and two show, two or three shows on a Sunday. And so it was, uh, yeah, but I mean, you continue to learn and, and I learn I, I still, when I do stuff about around the in industry today, I still, I'm still learning. And I mean, I had to, I had to slow down because my, I can't wrestle now because I need a hip operation, two of them. Uh, I, you know, my back's kind of messed up. I can't wrestle now, but you know, I'm getting back involved in the industry. So that means that I got to, I got to continue to learn to make sure any information or, or any knowledge that I can pass on is, is of value to, to the industry now, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. I totally understand what you, where you're coming from there. Um, you mentioned Tatsumi Fujinami, uh, noticing yeah. you bringing you to new Japan. Uh, please. I mean, how old are you? 20 years old? Yeah, I was, I, 20, 20, 20, I was turning 21 at the time. Oh, yeah. man. So no. this must be eye-opening for a young man like you back then to be brought to Japan, maybe a little bit of a culture shock. Uh, tell me how you, you, you found Japan and, you know, the time that you spent there. I noticed that you worked a little bit with Cowboy Bob Orton as well, which uh, yeah, oh, that's, dude, that's, I, that's you know amazing. What, I, well, Cowboy Bob Orton, was he was kind of my confidant over there. And uh, Sid Vicious, it was his first tour over there. Right. And we were over there with Ron Starr. And uh, we had uh, Jose Gonzalez. We had uh, a couple Puerto Rican guys over there. Um, and it was it was a good team to be on, right? But um, we went over there and Bob Orton, I mean, the thing is, is I would sit there and I was the only one to play gin with Bob, right? And he'd beat me every night. <laughs> you know, and, and well, I'd, I'd always be asking him questions, you know, and, and it just, it was good. He was, he was a great confident, confidant for me and asking him all the questions. He just, he just, he was free willingly 
giving it to me because he knew I was absorbing everything he'd say. And it was, it was funny because there was a wrestler in, in, in England and, and uh, you know, Tony Sinclair, I'm sure you've heard of him, right? Yeah. Tony Sinclair, he, uh, tremendous talent. I worked, done hundreds of matches with him. And uh, he told me a story about, they were in a, they were in a plane in, uh, in Japan and they're going to one of those islands. And all of a sudden the plane starts doing like a nosedive. It's going down the engines are going, and Bob's passed out because he'd been drinking all night. And Bob, uh, can I cuss on the channel? Yes, you can. Cussing out? Yeah. <laughs> so, so he, Tony, Tony goes and he wakes Bob up. He goes, Bob, Bob, plane's going down. And and I when I told when I told Bob, I already know what he was going to say. But when I told Bob the story that Tony told me, he goes, All I want to know is what the fuck he wake me up for. If I, wanted, <laughs> I don't want to know about it. <laughs> and I, I just been coming from Bob. It just it made me laugh, right? And. Uh, yeah, but he, he beat me in gin every night, and finally I got the best out of him in a bowling match. So, <laughs> so it, it took two and a half weeks for me to get money back out there. <laughs> awesome, bro. Well, how things have changed, Tay. Hey, back in the back in the day, the boys are in the back playing cards. Now they're playing video games. It's, uh, yeah, isn't it crazy? So social media and playing video games. Oh, my gosh, man. I can't stand social media. Uh <laughs> I'm, getting, I'm, I'm getting tired of it. You know, you have to be connected. I get that. Yeah. Um, I, I don't really use Twitter, but I use my Facebook. And as you know, on Facebook, on, on Facebook, I'm under my own name. If somebody wants to find me, they can find me, you know. But uh, I just, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm an old school kind of social guy. I want to meet you, talk to you face to face. That to me is what social is, not not texting back and forth on on media. You know? That's it. I, I I totally agree with you. Um, so New Japan experience, obviously, that's a, a nice little fast track in in learning, uh, especially if you're around the likes of you know Bob Orton and. I got to wrestle Antonio and Nokia. Antonio and Nokia. I really? got to wrestle. Really? Right? I mean, it doesn't get any better than that, man. I mean that. I mean, I, I should have hung it up right there. You know what I mean? <laughs> the, guy, the guy fought Muhammad Ali for Christ's sakes, right? That's, that's uh, yeah, you, you know, it doesn't get any, it doesn't get much bigger than that. I mean, I've been in the ring with, with the likes of Flair and stuff like that, or and, and, and some really impressive individuals. Dick Murdoch, one of my favorites of yeah. all time. Got to wrestle him a number of times. Me and Dick got along real good. And uh, yeah, just, I mean, I really, I was fortunate enough to get into a golden era when there were really a lot of amazing talent to learn from. Yeah. It, it was, it was, I was fortunate. I, I really got to say that. Absolutely. You can tell I'm not bitter. I'm not bitter about the job at all. I mean, like I said, I got a lot of fun out of it and I just, I want to, I'm glad that I'm getting a new opportunity to get, give it back, you know, so. That's cool, man. Yeah, you're right. Like you're, you've come into the point where guys like Bob Orton, guys like Antonio Inoki, they might be in the later stages of their career, but you're catching them right at those later stages to learn from them. But then you're working with people who ended up becoming on the same level as them years later. They're just coming to the business at the same time, Absolutely. like the Nasty Boys, like Steve Austin, et cetera. So that is, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. like total golden era. Um, yeah. Speaking of a, a golden era in and, wrestling, and the, the job never going to job's never going to be like that again, you know. And, I'm, no. and that's not a knock against these kids that are doing it now, and and I wish them all the luck, and they're going to probably make more money than I ever did. 
but that's not the point is is that's when the business was these these wrestlers they were professional wrestlers they did it they came through the school of hard knocks and it was just a, a completely different era it really was yeah and actually it drives me a little crazy that uh, a lot of fans and even guys who are you know in the prime of their career right now they complain about the older guys coming back, even though they're only working part-time here and there, they complain about, but they need to be there because they need to at least help, help these guys learn even more. It's the exact same situation. Like these guys are older guys back then, but you're learning from them and people are complaining. How, today can, they that, dis- how can they be disrespectful though? How do they, how do they find it? How do they wrestling wouldn't, there wouldn't be wrestling now if it wasn't for the guys, the generation before them. Exactly. You know, it took the generation for them before them to get them where they're at right now. I never complained. I, I don't care the guy if the guy wasn't as mobile as I would have liked to have. I didn't complain about working with him because I knew that in the end of the day, I'd pick up one or two things that I that would that I'd be able to carry forward as I got older and I couldn't do the things that I used to do. I mean, when I turned 44, I blew out my meniscus. That ended me drop kicking, you know. Yeah. So okay, I'm I'm in 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 your, you got to keep take thing taking things out of your repertoire. So you remember, well, you did kind of did this, and you can work around this, and you can do it that way, and you learn that from working with the older guys. Otherwise, you're gonna. And I still I still held on to certain things. I I was doing a Santon way too long. I was doing my splash off the top way too long i was doing a tope out of the rain way too long i didn't need to do all that stuff but i was doing it anyway you know and that's just to kind of you know that's just because you're trying to you're trying to keep up with these kids and you know sooner or later mortality mortality hits you and you realize wait a minute i i'm not i'm not 25 years old anymore (laughs) yeah that's it i understand um, I wanted to bring it to uh, the 18th of July, 1989. You wrestle on NWA Pro with Colin Orsack as your tag team partner against the Steiner brothers. Uh, I don't think the match lasted too long, maybe a couple of minutes. Uh, do you remember this matchup at all? I just thought it was an interesting one to to uh, mention as it was uh, before you went to... Uh, like I said, I've had 5,500 <laughs> matches I do not remember that one particularly, and there's probably a, there's probably a reason for it, you know. Um, the the only the one the the time I do remember working with the Steiners is actually it was when Scott had torn his bicep, and I ended up having to be Rick uh, Rick's partner right. against against the I called him the Dirty Dicks, Dick Slater and and uh, Dick Murdoch. Oh, right, <laughs> and I had to. And, and I was doing the selling and Rick was making the comeback. And that's where me and Dick Murdoch and Dick Slater ended up hitting it off really well because they couldn't believe it. You know what I mean? They, they really enjoyed working with me. And I mean, I ended up going to Puerto Rico with Dick after that. So it was, uh, that, that's the only time I ever remember working with the Steiners and, and, and Scott wasn't even involved. <laughs> Fair enough. It's okay. You can't remember everything. Um, you make the jump to catch wrestling in Europe uh, soon after this as Cannonball Grizzly. I wanted to know uh, how you came up with the name Cannonball Grizzly. Well, two things. I actually went to Germany before I went to before I went to the WCW. So yeah. in '89, in, in, so I went to I went to the 
I got to Germany through Fujinami, and I went there and worked for Otto Vance, and Otto Vance, I, I was in December, that was like November, December, so it was the last tournament of the year in Bremen, Otto loved me and asked me to come back, so I ended up going back for him, and I went, I did two tours for Otto, two full tours for Otto, and then I went to WCW, and, and then I went back to the CWA, I was married, and uh to an Austrian national and my daughter was on the way and I decided we decided to have uh, have my daughter Katarina in Austria so it okay. was uh, and, and so I did a lot of tours over there and I enjoyed it and a lot of guys came through at the time you had uh, uh, Bradshaw uh, came through I was tag team partners with him tag team partners with Jesse James and uh, with Brian Armstrong and I knew the Armstrongs from my WCW days and, and stuff like that and uh, had a, we had a and it, and it was the Terry Funk came over quite a number of times. Hawk came in. And funny is my my first match back for Auto. So I'm gone. I'm getting on a plane in Frankfurt and in, in Frankfurt going flying up to Bremen, right? And uh, all of a sudden the plane's full and and I'm in the middle seat and I, I tried to get an aisle seat. I'm in the middle seat. Plane's completely full. And one other big guy, one other big guy gets on the plane. And the two only two wrestlers on the plane are sitting right next to each other. And guess who it was? It was Hawk, Road Warriors. Right? <laughs> so, so we got it, 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 in an hour and a half. We got pretty drunk. It was a crazy situation, you know. But those are the kind of things you, you have to deal with when uh, when you're flying internationally, I guess. So. Absolutely, no, I, I, right? love, I love being over there. It was uh, Germany's my Germany, Austria's uh, CWA's like favorite, my favorite place I've ever I've ever wrestled. Uh, the fans were very appreciative. They uh, they loved it. Um, it was it was uh, without TV. You know, we were we were selling out venues without without the aid of television. Really, you know, this is it was in the era when. The WWE had just started coming in like '88. They just started getting on TV over there in Europe. So as as that program grew, it was stealing away from our from our shows, and and there was a lot of there's a lot of other things going on that it, it just take too long to get into at the time. But we you know we we worked hard and and uh, and we enjoyed it. And I mean places like Graz, Austria, Vienna, Austria. Hanover, Germany, uh, Bremen, Germany, with other shows going on in between. I was go to France. I go to England. Um, you know, we'd, we'd go a few other places. It was uh, it was really um, it was it was just great. We, we had a good time. Fit Finley was over there. Tony Sinclair, Dave Taylor. Uh, you know, the list goes on and on. A lot of a lot of European talent, which which kind of it kind of all that European talent kind of changed the way I worked and wrestling because I was learning a lot off of those guys, you know? So I just, I think all the time I spent in Europe, it just, it just made me a more complete uh, wrestler, better professional wrestler. They just, just work in one style. It was like the old days when you would work yeah. in a different territory, every territory had a different style. And then you'd pick up from that and where, and all those different territories would make you in a complete wrestler that you were, you know? Absolutely. That's uh, definitely a good way to go about it, uh, learning different styles. Uh, and 
you, you spend uh, a good amount of time there with catch wrestling. Uh, and I wanted to bring it to WCW in 1991, uh, the, the 20th of April, 1991. Uh, PN News makes his WCW debut against Doug Gilbert. Uh, I wanted to know what the idea was, who, whose idea it was with the gimmick of, you know, the, the, the rap type gimmick and, and to call you peer news. I've got to admit the whole rap gimmick was, was my idea. Um, I came, I came up with the idea and uh, I had the idea to call myself like PJ cool or something like that. And then when Dusty, when they saw my dark match and Dusty was happy with, with, with what he saw, and he goes, uh, so when I came in, he goes, uh, PN, uh, what we want to do is we want to call you PN, PN News, if you will. Because, you know, it's Ted Turner and it's CNN, PN, you understand? It's going to be great, baby. We're going to have it. If this doesn't work out, we'll try something else, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, I fell for the whole thing, right? And it didn't, you know, it didn't happen as planned, but it just, it was still, it was a good experience. But WCW at the time was way too many, way too many Chiefs, not enough Indians. You know what I mean? It was everybody, everybody was calling something different. And, yeah. and, but, it was, you know, you live, you learn. So. Absolutely. Um, well, I mean, you know, it's a, the, the gimmick is ahead of its time at that point. Because uh, obviously rap would become quite more prevalent in uh pop culture is as the years go by um i wanted to throw this one at you to see if you remembered this match it's uh i don't believe it was a televised match but it's at the st louis arena on the 14th of june 1991 you're teaming with sting to face stan hansen and the great muda oh yeah that's pretty crazy i uh yeah stan blew me up pretty good there i uh you know, it was, you could thank Owen Hart for that because what happened was backstage, Stan came in late and I knew, I knew he was on him. He came in late. So we had no chance to talk about anything or do anything really. And so Owen's going off, can you believe what that kid said about you? And Stan's like, Stan bites. He goes, what? He goes, yeah. He goes, uh, he goes, can you believe what he said about you? Because I can't believe you're working with that old timer, right? So, <laughs> special right there well i was i was with owen you know because i knew owen before too i was with owen in cwa days you know in the, in the like 89 i was over there with him right yeah the owen was a master of winding people up dude. he could uh 
And and you know what? Even though you knew he was a wind up merchant, he he'd still he'd still pull it off. He could still keep you going, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I love the stories of where he would wrestle his brother Brett and uh he put him in like a camel clutch and whilst he's like got his hands around uh, Brett's face whilst uh, utilizing that move, he's, he's got a sardine in his hand and he's just rubbing the sardine in Brett's <laughs> face. Just, and it's like a match that's like on TV. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But you know what? They were both professional enough to carry it off. You know what I'm saying? That's, that's it. Just crazy. Um, and that's I mean, you used to be able to, you used to be able to do some weird stuff in the ring and still be able to pull it off. That's the truth. That's you know, it. People, you know, people would, uh, they, yeah. What we, what are you gonna do? Get upset? You're on television. You <laughs> yeah. Work, right? Yeah, it's good stuff. Um, so right out of the gate in WCW, you're working with Steve Austin, who is the television champion at the time. Not the Steve Austin everyone remember years later with the bald head and the beers and all that stuff. This is Steve Austin with you know Lady Blossom at ringside. Um, you two work this program together. Uh, tell me how you felt coming in and being put into this position to work with someone like Steve, who was clearly on the rise at that point. Well, I think we were at the time we were both on the rise. You know what I mean? This is before crap happened down there, but we were both on the rise. And uh, so I was getting a push. He was getting a push. And uh, he, you know, he was obviously, you know, he's had the technician. He was, he was, he was more set up. He was more about speed. I'm, you know, it's me speed doing doing high spots doing all that kind of stuff and me i'm a big guy that can move around so there, there was there was stuff and it, i enjoyed i enjoyed working with him it was uh we had good we had a couple good matches uh it was like a tv time limit or something like that and it ended up in a draw or whatever and uh no it was it was good everybody we all knew how good he was going to be and uh, we i mean we all saw the potential and and he did it and, you know, he, he pulled it off and he got, when he got that opportunity, you know, I mean, he went up there with one gimmick and, and finally he, when he finally went to Stone Cold and got that Stone Cold uh, thing put on him, he, you know, he, he took that character to a different level because I'll be honest with you. I seen a lot of lone, lone wolves, you know, you call that a lone wolf character. I seen a lot of lone wolf characters. I seen Dusty try to do it. I see Barry Windham, great worker, tried to do it. I see, you know, other other wrestlers try to do it, but nobody did it as well as 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 Austin did. You know what I mean? That he he did the lone wolf gimmick better, but he had the perfect opportunity. He got to tell his he, he got to he got to give his boss the stunner. Everybody yeah. in the world wants to give their boss the stunner, right? So if your boss, if you know, if your boss is going to push you that big, you you can't help to get over because everybody, you know, I mean he. You know, without 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 Vince doing what he did, he would have probably never got over as big as as big as Jesus. You know what I mean? Because he, yeah. uh, he was as big as Jesus for a little while there. Yeah. You know, and I'm not I'm not trying to be sacrilege, but he was you know Steve Austin. I mean, he might as well have had a religion, right? Three sixteen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask you about this, and I know you've been asked about it in the past, but I wanted to bring it up myself. Uh, because I would be deathly scared of, of doing this, but obviously you're all professionals and you're able to pull it off. Great American Bash 1991, the scaffold match yourself uh, and Bobby Eaton taking on Steve Austin and Terry Taylor. Uh, I don't know how you guys do it. 
on that little platform. I would be scared to death to do that. But tell me a little bit about it. I mean, well, uh, well, you're there. You're, you're talking about Bobby, one of the greatest wrestlers that's ever been on the planet, right? As far as I'm concerned, if the guy could have talked, he'd have been as big as anybody, you know? Yeah. Um, Bobby, tremendous, nothing but respect, his timing, his, his wrestling, fantastic. We know what, what became of Austin, Terry Taylor, was fundamentally one of a great, great worker, great timing, everything like that. Good mind in the business. We're all up there, but here's the problem is they forgot to order a proper scaffold for that match. And we should have been oh, just, we should have only been uh, one story over the ring or 13 feet above the ring. Yeah. But we ended up being about three stories above the ring because of the way they built it. Right. And, uh, and we were an earlier match. It'd been one thing if they could have built it up later and, and done it, but we were one of the earlier match and they left the scout that scaffolding up. So it was, it was like three stories above the ring. And so, so we had to do that flags in the corner right. instead, of, instead of dropping, you know, somebody falling off the thing. And believe me, I, it's, it's not one of my favorite matches. I, I get, I get asked about it all the time and that's cool. Um, but it wasn't, it's, it's not, it's probably in one of my top, my bottom 10 matches that I've ever enjoyed, you know, because of, because of the fact that it was, and it was just, it was bad to bad logistics. You know what I mean? They yeah. Didn't, important enough to think about. So they forgot to order the scaffolding in order to get the, the match started, you know, to get it, to get it done properly. And yeah. I, it, it becomes a mark. I mean, it comes, it's a mark on my, on my career i don't know i don't know if those guys get asked about it as much as i do <laughs> but i mean i have you know i have less less time on tv as those guys did so i mean yeah you know it, it is what it is and yeah i mean i could i could have could have been worse somebody could have got hurt you know? exactly yeah i guess it's just one of those wcw things where they uh don't plan ahead properly, uh, which is prevalent in right. WCW. Even though I love WCW, I always have and always will. But there, there was always times where you'd be like, no, nah, it's a bit of a misfire because you didn't plan ahead, guys. Um, well, you know, Brian Dixon out of England, he, All-Star Promotions, he, he always had a say. He said, proper planning prevents piss poor performance. <laughs> you know, Perfect, yeah. not that he always planned ahead, but I love the saying, <laughs> you know, yeah. the saying was that there was no proper planning for that particular match. It was a byproduct just to put another fancy match on a, on a great American bash. And that's basically all it was. Yeah. Uh, so uh, the 21st of June 91, I want to ask you a little bit about this. You wrestle a guy by the name of the uh, Angel of Death, uh, and yeah. he apparently gets injured during the match. Uh, I was just, uh, this is just through my research, and my research told me that because of this injury, the push that you were getting was now kind of pulled back on. And that's it. That, that's a possibility, but I mean, there's a lot of other things. There's a lot of other things that happened at that time. They can, you know, I, you know, they can, they can say it's to that, but it, it was one of those things. I was doing my splash off the top. I placed him where I wanted him. He thought I wasn't going to make it. He, he slid in. I ended, up, I ended up hitting lower than I want to because I've got to pull back on my splash. I can't, you know, if, if I'm allowed, allowed to spring out, I can get higher and I can, I can put myself in the right thing. But because he moved into the corner, 
I ended up splashing him a little lower, which hyperextended his knees. He had bad knees anyway. I'm, you know, I feel bad about it. I'm not using that as an excuse because nobody wants to injure anybody. It's, no. just, it's something that happened. I mean, there's been worse injuries. I mean, Vader broke somebody's neck that same year, um, but his push didn't get get taken off. So I don't know if, it, if that was the reason. I, I there's there's a multiple of different things that it could have been uh, jealousy. Uh, I was getting a push. I wasn't making big money, but I was getting a big push. I was I was I was pinning guys in like 50 seconds on TV. Yeah. You know, that, that pissed a lot of these guys that were making 10 times the money. I was, I pissed a lot of people off and, and uh, yeah. So I was getting, I was not, not because, because of the time and because of the timing, I was kind of, everybody was afraid I was getting a Magnum TA push. Right. And it wasn't, and it wasn't that it was just the amount of time that we had left TV time, you know? So um yeah, it was what it was, but uh, I, I couldn't tell you if that's the reason or if other made-up stuff was the reason. I, yeah. All I can say, if it's on the internet, it doesn't necessarily mean that that's the reason. You know what I mean? We all know. 100%. Telephone, telegraph, tell the internet, and, and whatever happens, you know, whatever. That might be the case, might not be the case. Nobody ever told me that, you know? Yeah, I can totally see the politics coming to play here. That's why I know that the whole rumor of you stealing money from people's bags is a bunch of bullshit. Because yeah, me and me and Rick Rude, Rick Rude, I got I got punched by Rick Rude, but it was for a whole different reason, you know. And I won't I won't pee on a I won't pee on a dead guy's grave, you know. And uh, and it was it was something over over stupid. And me and Rick talked the next day, and and that was it. He says, "Oh, come on, I don't want to get fired." You know, he he was worried about getting fired, so we made up a story about we were arm wrestling table broke and you know i ended up table flew up gave me a black eye you know what i mean but because we came up with a stupid story uh then the story you know everything there are a few people and then um, well paul Heyman knows the truth and also um kurt henning knew the truth because rick and kurt were really good friends right and and in fact at the uh, first king of the ring i was up there at that show up in ohio and Kurt came to me, oh, man, I can't believe it over that, blah, blah, blah. He said, yeah, man, it's water under the bridge. It was all water under the bridge for me. You know, and, and Kurt knew what the situation was. There's there's a few people. They don't talk about it. I don't care. It doesn't bother me, man. People can believe. People are going to believe what they want to believe, regardless of what I say. And, I, and yeah. when people ask me about it, I say, listen, I got a lot of sins to pay for. That's not my sin. I mean, I've, I've committed a lot of sins. When I go to hell, that's not one that I'm, I'm going to have to deal with. Absolutely. There we go. You heard it here, everyone. It didn't fucking happen. Okay. <laughs> Let's just get past that, everyone, and get over it. It didn't happen. <laughs> uh, so before I yeah, ask... Yeah, get over these bastards. Come on. <laughs> I like having the opportunity to stick up for my new friends on this show. Uh, thanks. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> I, you know uh, and I don't care what Joe Legend says about you. I like you, man. I don't care. I hope he's enjoying that that bastard. <laughs> uh, the the 10th of December 91. I'm getting towards the tail end of your WCW run here. Uh, you have your first world title match against Lex Luger in the in London, UK. Um, I just wanted to bring that up because I thought it was pretty important to 
bring up the fact that PN News had a world title match uh, and it was against Lex Luger in London. Um, how did that yeah. feel for you to, you know, be able to say, hey, I competed for the World Heavyweight Championship? I mean, well, I guess, you know, PN News was getting over pretty big on the WCW because it was like, and then they sent me and Johnny B. Bat and uh, Jim Ross over to do all the promotion, right? Yep. And the people, the people liked PN News. I guess it kind of reminded them of the Big Daddy, who was a huge character over there. And uh, it kind of reminded him of Big Daddy, so he kind of he kind of helped get me over. And and since I've wrestled, I was wrestling in Europe. I kind of knew what they kind of liked, and it, it just worked. And so they put me on. I mean, that night I wrestled, I wrestled Luger for that, and then I got a U.S. title with with Rude the next night. And and then I think I don't know who I wrestled in Sheffield, and then we went over to. Dublin and I wrestled Johnny but yeah, I got a world title with Luger, and I guess I guess that was the height of my career in, for WCW, right? I mean, I've wrestled for world championships, you know, ever since, and won a few titles since then. But but uh, yeah, I, it, it was interesting. Uh, Lex, you know, it's not like he's going to get me up in the rack, you know, uh, in <laughs> just a weird situation. But I mean. The match was the match was good enough. I enjoyed it. The people the people bought it, and and uh, I thought working with Lex was was okay. It was good stuff. Cool, bro. Um, so why why do you leave WCW? Do they not re- renew your contract? Uh, they, no, they, well, no, they they pin that stuff. They pin the, the thievery on me, and then uh, and then they and then basically my contract ran out, and it wasn't renewed. And I was like, okay, that's fine. Um, I, I, I could have I'd actually gotten an opportunity to go back to New Japan and I should have taken that but I ended up waiting around because my wife who was Austrian like I said at the time I ended up going uh, we ended up going I, I ended up going east instead of going west right and I concentrated on that our comment and everything and, and that's kind of where I did where I did and I was I was, uh, I was comfortable in the CWA, I was comfortable working in England, and, and that was kind of the way um, the way I liked it. And it was CWA, like I said, it was it was it was great. I really enjoyed that. I really did. Yeah, so I mean, that's why I ended up doing that. And then I'd actually talked to, and I'd actually been talks with WWE. They'd been looking for me after I left. You know, they wanted me. You know. As far as like for that man, man on a mission type gimmick, or right? Need to do that because I'd actually got calls on the day, the day I signed my contract with WCW. Really? I got home. I got home, and because I'd already been on TV on the thirtieth, me, me, Johnny Bad, Austin, Paul, Man Hammer, we all signed. We all got our contracts that Friday in May. It was like May third or something like that. I think it was. Anyway, we all got our contracts at the same time. They all they all signed immediately. I took my home didn't sign. Right, got a message from uh, MIGA saying, "Well, if you don't sign, you're not going to get my chance. You're never going anywhere." Blah blah blah. Right. And I just you know I had to do a wrap at the uh, at the army that weekend. So I went in. I saw Dusty at the hotel. I said, Dusty, I'm not really comfortable with you. Just, Brother, just, just meet me at the hotel, and you know, and so he took me into one of uh, 
one of the Ted Turner suites there and gold, gold taps and all this stuff, you know, trying to impress me. And then they finally talked me into it. Unfortunately, I had my, my, I had the contract with me and I went ahead and signed it and gave it to him. Right. I got home that night. I got home that night. It was a Sunday night and there was a message on my machine and it was uh, Strongbow, Jay Strongbow. He goes, Vince loves the gimmick. He wants you to start immediately. Uh, I called them and earned some new deal, right? And so when I left WCW, they were trying to get a hold of me. And at that time, it was uh, Sergeant Slaughter who was in charge of, uh, of new talent. And when I showed up at the Cave in the Ring, he goes, he goes, where have you been? We've been trying to get a hold of you. I said, what do you mean? He says, yeah, we want you, we want you to come into the gimmick. And I was like, I've been over. I've got a daughter coming. I've been over, you know, in Europe working. He goes, "Well, here, dude." So I, he, he, I talked to Pat, and then Pat said, "Go introduce yourself to Vince." And say, "Blah blah blah." So I, you know, I talked to Vince and everything like that. And they said, "Listen, you can't get a dark match this weekend because of the, you know they had all the, the pay per view and all that stuff coming in." But come back next month. We'll get you in next month, right? And I was like, my, my daughter's on the way. I, I can't wait around in the United States. And I had a flight ready to go back. So I just went back and I just blew it off. And I never went back to them, right? So it was, you know, it was like, I come from the era where they say, don't call us, we call you, right? And now the era is, you know, call, 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 call. And finally, we say, okay, come down to next. You know, NXT, right? So it, it's... And I just came from a different area, and I never, I did, it just never let it bother me, and never looked back. Yeah, I could have maybe done something else, and and then later on, 2000, 2008, me and my partner Mike Halleck were, were talking with him too, and uh, that was a situation that just didn't. And at the time, it just didn't quite work out because that was after the whole WCW, and then there were some haters. There were some of my haters were you know, already in the in the office with New York. Right. And so they were blocking me as soon as they knew that Laurinaitis was interested, you know. Ah, what so, a shame. You know, what it is. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not really bothered, man. I could have made more money, but would I have been happier? Would, would, I, would it have made me more happy? I don't know. You know what I mean? Money, I, just, I know a lot of rich people who are miserable. So. Yeah, no, I get you, bro. <laughs> um. So you do go back to the CWA. Uh, you team with John Hawk, who is better known to some people as Bradshaw. Do you have any stories of a young Bradshaw that you could share with us? We couldn't stand each other at the beginning. And it was Rachel Fury, uh, one of our nicest. Um, and uh, they were winding John up. You know, him and the guy, you remember Ice Cream too, right? Yeah. You know, and they were both starting that year and they were winding up trying to get us to go at each other. And then finally, me and John got drunk in Hanover and they hadn't started tagging us up yet. And they started to, and then me and John got drunk and said, Man, you know, Fury said this about you. Ray said this about you. And I said, I never said any of that stuff. I heard it talk to those guys. <laughs> you know, and so we found out that they were telling you know a bunch of bullshit trying trying to wind us up, but me and John taking it out right, and so we got it going, and, and we ended up tagging with each other. Uh, Hanover, we started tagging, and then they, we got the belts in Bremen, and then we dropped them to a guy named Bill Furman and uh, August Weasel, 
right? But uh, we had some good matches, and, you know, it was good. John was a good worker and everything like that. And, and so we, we, we got along. We complimented each other really well. I'd love to have some of those matches on video. It's just a lot of my stuff wasn't taped. You know, all my best, it's funny, like, a lot of my best stuff isn't even on video. Um, but right. you know, I'm sure a lot of us can say that. But yeah, I, I enjoy working with John. And when, when we when we when we started getting along, we started clicking, and that was the same thing with Ice Train. When when we started getting along, we started clicking. You know, it was uh, it, it, it's, it's cool. You know what I mean? But you can't get you're not going to get along with everybody on the bill anyway. But it's just I'm glad I got along with John at the time, and then and then of course Ice Train became. You know, best friends, you know, so uh, that was, those are really good experiences, you know, uh, don't let, don't let other people uh, stop you from, from becoming what you can, you know. Absolutely, bro, and uh, Ice Train is someone I've been trying to hunt down for so long, I found his Facebook, I sent him a message, but he still hasn't read it, uh, I'm still hoping to talk to him sometime, because he's another guy who I believe is an unsung hero, Thanks, bro. That'll be great. Um, so you do also team with uh, Jesse James, who uh, many out there may know as Road Dog, uh, from the very famous Armstrong family, who everyone has always just said such great things about that family. Um, how was it teaming with uh, with him back then? And did you two click as well? We clicked immediately, had a lot of fun, we, you know, had a lot of fun with, uh, with him and uh, we clicked immediately. We kept, in, you know, we kept in, in touch for a while. And then when he got in, the, in, in New York, I was like, uh, you know, I, you know, like he's already been in New York. And then when he went back, he, you know, we kind of lost, lost track. But for a while he was, he was like in what, Mid-South or whatever and in Tennessee and stuff. And we kept in touch a little bit and then we kind of fell out of touch. But nothing but respect for that family he was he was to the mic what brad was to the ring you know and that's not disrespecting the rest of the family because they're all just tremendous tremendous talents but i i thought brad was the best ring worker and and he and brian was the best on the mic you know and i remember brian when i was in wc brian brian was still in the military he was still in the marine corps and so every time we get up to baltimore you know, he'd always show up to the show, and I, I would, you know, I'd, I'd always hang out with, I'd always hang out with guys like, uh, you know, I'd be driving with, with uh, Brad or, or or Steve or you know, and, and, and uh, yeah, some others, and, and I was I was with, uh, I'd, I'd drive with uh, the the Rock and Roll Express. I mean, those are the kind of guys. Those those guys were always down earth, and those are the kind of guys I got along with. I mean. I didn't get along. I wasn't. I wasn't. I'm not a click kind of guy. I never have been. You know, not even when I was in high school. I never belonged to a click. You know, I just yeah. I'd rather. I'd rather try and get along with everybody, and I think that's that probably hurt me a lot. You know, because I didn't want to be in a click. Yeah, I understand 100. percent Um, I want to talk a little bit about British wrestling, uh, and working with Robbie Brookside. And of course, Joey Legend. Uh, of course. Any stories about Robbie? I know he's working in the WWE Performance Center these days, but he's someone that doesn't get mentioned on the show very often. So I thought I'd try and get the opportunity to hear about him. 
I've probably worked more matches with Robbie Brookside than I have with anybody, any other wrestler in my career. He's a uh, tremendous talent, um, good mind for the business. He knows, he knows the technical side of the job and he's always had good timing and it didn't matter if, if one was a good guy or one was the bad guy. It didn't matter if we switched sides or whatever. We knew that we'd, we'd go in the ring and you wouldn't have to, we wouldn't have to discuss a thing. We could show up five minutes for the match and not see each other go out there. And we just, we just go and perform and, and we'd steal the show. And he, he's, you know, he's just a tremendous, tremendous talent. And I'm happy that he's, he's there and he's got a, he's got a good paying job and, and uh, he deserves that kind of thing. And uh, like I said, I've been around him. I was around him for, 20 years you know what i mean and, and a lot of good fun and we, i remember one time we were in bremen and and we were uh we were all messing around and we had our we had some people that we were hanging out with and we were going into this tapas restaurant in the marriott just across from is about a block and a half away from the train station in bremen and we're we're running up to the we're running up to the uh to the door and there's like a there's like a chain link and we we go he goes to leap over it and I'm right behind it and I go to leap over it. My 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 foot catches it and I hit the ground and he hears the thud. But by the time he turned around, I was already back up on my feet going, What happened? You know, <laughs> nothing to see here, right? But you know, we have we have moments like that, but we used to yeah, we used to hang around, pal around together. Uh we had a lot, like I said, we we tagged together, we uh we held the the CWA titles, uh tag team titles, I think on two occasions. So he awesome. was, uh, yeah, he, yeah, he's a good guy to be around, and, and I learned as much from him as I did did from anybody, you know. So, absolutely, it sounds to me like you should be in the CWA Hall of Fame if they have one. <laughs> uh yeah, CWA is dead and gone. It's, yeah, uh, it's I, unfortunate. I am, I am in the EW uh, European Wrestling Promotion Hall of Fame. I did make theirs. Cool. And I'm also in the Nebraska Wrestling Hall of Fame. Uh, oh good good i'm but, glad um yeah i mean it's, yeah it's a nice it's nice accolade and stuff um for me it's you know getting getting accolades from your from your peers are, are more important than than getting the other stuff you know because they're the ones that work with you i mean you mentioned yeah. joe legend me and joe legend work against each other quite a bit I remember when he came over the first time uh, he was a little bit greener in the nineties and stuff. And, and I watched him progress. And I mean, I remember driving down the road, have a lot of conversations with him and he's just always been, uh, he's been a really good guy to be around. And he's, uh, he's, he's really went from strength to strength and he's always had a lot of work. And I know he's good at uh, teaching kids, uh, teaching the younger generation, uh, how to how to do their stuff. So, uh, and I know he's on the mend right now, and I'm uh, waiting for him to come back out there and see what he can do. Yeah, cool, man. That's awesome. Yeah, uh, Joe's been really good to me, and uh, I just really appreciate him helping me out anytime I've needed help with anything with the show. Uh, he's helped yeah. get me some guests and stuff. So, that's cool. That's actually- um, yeah, man. Uh, so now here's the subject I've been so excited to talk to you about. EC. Oh God. Okay. <laughs> <All right. laughs> uh, you join ECW uh, 
and you work on the 28th of September, 99 on ECW on TNN. It was probably taped before that, but that's when it aired. You wrestle Spike Dudley. He's doing his, uh, you know, giant killer gimmick. You're the next giant to be killed, I suppose, uh, on TV with Spike. He's beaten all these big guys. You're the next one in line. Uh, tell me about how you ended up coming into ECW. Well, I basically just showed up and Paulie basically loved, loved when I came through the door and uh, they put that Philly sucks shirt on me and, and wanted me to do that gimmick, you know, for, for a spike. And I did. And the thing was, is when I was with WCW and I was doing the, because um, it's, it's longer, it's a longer story. And I can't tell you how many guys came me came up to me and told me to hurt Paulie with a splash up in the Meadowlands, right. and I didn't do it. And Paulie was so thankful that I didn't hurt him, and that I take took care of him, and uh, he, that he remembered that. So he gave me he gave me the opportunity there, and asked me to do the job. I got no I got no ego. I did it, and there I was. Um, did it? I he said, okay, just do that. And I said, well, why don't we do this? where it looks like I'm going to get it. And then I just, and then I did that little switcheroo and then up and, and he, and he hit me with his finish. So it was, yeah. it worked out really well. And uh, yeah. And then I got to do a little run with uh, some of my favorite guys, the Baldies, you know? So uh, yeah. And then I worked, and then I, you know, and, and uh, I, I enjoyed that gimmick as short as the run was, I ended up moving out to, to Omaha, Nebraska, and I wasn't getting, I wasn't getting any, you know, because I'm from Nebraska originally. So I moved from Atlanta there because I just, it was costing me too much to live. And I'll be honest with you, ECW wasn't paying as much as uh, you'd think it would at that point, right? Right. So I ended up moving back out there and I basically just ended my run with the ECW at that point. Okay. So now I've got my answer as to why you left because I've interviewed uh, Angel. I also interviewed. Mm -hmm. Uh, Vito and I asked them both because it just it, it, it drove me nuts not, not being able to find any information about this anywhere because it's on the 13th of, uh, of November 99 it's a tag match loser leaves ECW PN News and Vito LaGrasso take on Axel and Balls Mahoney I know Vito was leaving for WCW but I didn't know what, why you were in the match and why I wasn't even, well. I wasn't even told, I wasn't even told it was a loser leaves town match. <laughs> right. it was, I wasn't even told. It was just, it was just the way it was. You know what I mean? So, but that's how, that's how he was. And I'm going, Polly, what the hell's going on? You know, I didn't know, I didn't even know Vito was leaving at the time, you know, but um, it, it, it happened the way it happened. And sometimes that's the way this business works i mean i left a pretty couple of dirty messages on paul's answering machine because he never answered the phone yeah but i left a couple of dirty messages you know called him all sorts of names and stuff like that you know all i want all, all i wanted was an answer you know what i mean that was it you know um it shit it was what it was and i ended up and then i just ended up coming back to europe at that point you know? right okay yeah because like angel was like you know what i don't know why news left the group i don't yeah like they just they couldn't they couldn't tell me they just did not know. Um, but the no, boy they brought in they brought in another big guy too. What was his name? Um, uh, Vic Grimes. Vic Grimes, yeah, that's it. They brought in Vic too, so I don't know. I figure they didn't need another fat guy. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, the yeah, ball is. I mean, 
Yeah, go ahead. Uh, the, I mean, the group was just going, doing really well. That was that was the, only, the the point I wanted to make. Yourself, Rod Price, yeah. Tony DeVito, Angel, and Vito, uh, just doing really well out of the gate there. And then all of a sudden, in one fell swoop, Rod was gone, Vito was gone, you were gone, and then it was Tony, Angel, and Vic Grimes. Uh, and then I yeah. think Vic leaves pretty maybe three, four months afterward. After obviously, there's an incident with with him and New Jack, which. Uh, Right, right. <laughs> that's another scary situation with the scaffold that's for sure um, yeah yeah uh so uh speaking of new jack you you would have had the chance to work with him a little bit during that feud as you know that's that was the main sure. feud that the baldies were a part of uh how did you find working with new jack and, and doing some of that hardcore stuff i didn't i didn't mind it i would I, you know we were called a, we called them street fights over in europe i was doing that kind of stuff over there anyway uh, I was doing these Ironman competitions where we I'd have to work like three times in one night doing some different kind of hardcore match. Um, and it was all good. There was no problem. But uh, and I had no problem working with New Jack. I thought it was good. I thought we I thought we had a pretty good thing going on. And I remember we were in uh, Atlanta at a theater there in Marietta and he came off the balcony on the knee on, on a table. And table leg went up, shot up through my, through the table as, as the weight came down on me yeah. and it ripped a hole in the back of my head. And he helped, he's the one who helped me glue my head shut. So oh, it was, I mean, I, I, I never had a problem with New Jack and I it never, never got hurt from him or anything like that. I was also, I also had like a, I had a hip issue at the time. I never told anybody. I used to go into the toilet stall and tie my boot because it was just I was just so so much pain and that's kind of and that was the end of the 90s 99 yeah. and that's when I started having problems with my hip and I work with my hip like that for another 16 years unfortunately. oh my gosh I, yeah I just got I, I really need the operation so uh yeah but it, that was the first time so I you know but I just never I never complained about it just went out there and worked anyway Another guy uh, yeah. you work with is uh, you get to work a match for the television championship against Rob Van Dam. Now that's a hell of a guy at that stage of his career to be, he's in the prime right there. Tell me a little bit about the experience of working with Rob Van Dam. Tremendous, tremendous athlete. He was doing stuff really ahead of his time. He was, he was such a tremendous fighter. He was flexing things. It was great. The timing was good. I mean, It certainly was, as far as I'm concerned, as well. Um, so, your time with ECW ends. Uh, you go to Europe after this for the next 12 years, from my research. Uh, one match that I thought was interesting you win the EWP World Championship in Hanover on the 27th of September 2003 against Bam Bam Bigelow. Now, that that was actually Bigelow's 12th last match that he ever worked. Um, yeah. Tell me a little bit about that and, and, and winning this championship. 
but it was weird because I I'd split up I split up with my wife a few years before and my, my daughter was you know a young kid at the time and I uh, I ended up before that match I'd been up for three days because I got on the train drove down to Australia and saw my daughter spent the day with her and I got on the train to come back for the next day so I'd been up for three days and then me and me and uh, me and Bam Bam got into the ring that night. We had a pretty decent match. It was pretty good. I stiffed him a little bit on my Santon, but he took it well. And, uh, and, and it really went to, uh, it was just a really, it was a good match. And I was just, I was happy because we finally got to, to wrestle each other because we've been comparing to each other throughout our careers and stuff like that. And I'm, I'm just happy we finally got to get that one in the book. So it was, I mean, I got to work. Me and Vader worked a few times. You know, guys I got compared to, I got to work with them. So uh, I'm just glad that I got to work with them on his 12th last match. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, bro. At least I know I didn't kill him. Yeah. So can you tell me when you did have your final match? to say that germany is my favorite country i've ever been to i was supposed to be there uh july last year unfortunately the the pandemic took place so that got postponed i was hoping to be there in july this year but now it's looking like that's probably not going to happen so hopefully by next year i get to be back in my favorite country in the world because there's nothing like it especially in the summer where the sun doesn't go down until 11 p.m at night it's amazing uh, so we stayed in Vincent, which is a small town. Maybe it's about uh, 40, 45 minutes from uh, Hamburg. Okay, I'm about an hour and a half from Hamburg. I'm, toward, I'm between Hamburg and uh, Amsterdam. Okay, and cool. About 50, 50 kilometers from the, the, the Netherlands border. Yeah, it's not too dark there in the summertime, but, but then you get that complete opposite in the winter, like sun goes down at four and it doesn't come up until like eight in the morning. 
Wow, that's so crazy. Uh, I'm from Australia, so you know, we 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 tend to keep it tends to stay pretty like normal for us. You know, when it gets to winter time, obviously the sun goes down a little bit earlier, maybe like six p.m. But like to be up and out and about in the city in Hamburg, and it's like ten thirty at night, and the sun's still up, and everyone's out and about having a great time. Man, it's just mind blowing. And you spend your whole time. You spend your whole time on the Reaper Bond, right? Oh man, like those those wind, uh, the the what do you call them? The the uh, windmills. Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, I mean, I, I understand that wind energy is very important, but after driving for ages and this, just constantly seeing these windmills just spinning, you kind of feel a little bit sick. <laughs> yeah, I'm telling you, it's, uh, yeah, they're they're pretty big. Yeah, they're big in the wind energy over here. Um, I'm Hamburg. I I spent I, I never spent of time in Hamburg, but I lived in Hanover, which is like an hour and a bit just south. Uh, you go down, what is it, A7? You go down there and uh, you run into Hammer, Hanover. And I spent a lot, I spent a lot of years in Hanover. Um, get up to Hamburg once in a while. You go to the Red Light District, and Reaper Bond. You go to the, you know, the, the burlesque clubs and all that stuff. And you see some pretty interesting entertainment. The best entertainment is when you're just walking down the street going to bar to bar. It's just some real freaks out there, you know. And, and you, got, you, got you got your soldiers, you got your, you got your, your, uh, your baby people, and, and uh, you got it. You, you, and then you go to St. Pauli. You've got so, you got such an area where you can just really, uh, yeah, you can goof off and see a lot of weird things going on. <laughs> absolutely yeah it, it was just such a wild time i ended up going to a three-day heavy metal festival at uh Bucken, uh which I, was oh really yeah we did that Bakken festival i did it two years in a row in fact one we did we, we went up against aerosmith no we, we went up against like metallica we did go up against the, the one day where we didn't have a big headliner to go up against we had we were in the largest tent festival tent in the world. We had eleven thousand people watching us wrestle. Unbelievable! And you know what Boston's like. You know you're walking through the mud all day long, and it's just horrible. But good beer, good food, and, and a good time, and again a lot of freaks. It was, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, man. What year were you there? I went there in 2019, and in fact, that was like the first year it didn't rain, so there was no mud. So those poor people that were selling the uh, the the welly boots uh, and and all that gear, no one bought a pair of them. It was it was quite dusty, but it, uh, no no mud for me, thankfully, uh, on that occasion. But it was just amazing. Anywhere I turned, I could get a beer like that. In Australia, you have to line up for 40 minutes at a concert or a festival because they don't put enough, uh, you know, put enough stands and, and bars around the place. But at Varken, anywhere you turn, there's people with backpacks where they can just fill your cup up with beer. There's food anywhere you want to go. If you're in the main pit, you can get a beer in there. You don't need to walk all the way out for a kilometre to go get yourself your next beer. It's right in there. They had everything like a well-oiled machine. It was even better for us because, you know, we were there as talent, right? So 
we had all the backstage food, you know, and they fed us really well. And they'd make sure that we had cases of beer and cases of Coca-Cola and everything like that for us. And then if not, we'd just go into the commerce and then we'd just, we'd just drink with all the, all the rock stars and stuff. So it was, uh, <laughs> it, was pretty, it was pretty cool, man. We really enjoyed it. So uh, I was there in 2010, 2011. Right, amazing. Well, uh, hopefully I'll be back over there by next year at some point because um, I want to go again. <laughs> yeah, me too. Um, so Ultimate Wrestling Nation, let's talk a little bit about this. Please plug this thing that's going on. You're involved with it now. What's happening? Well, what we got is this is going to be it's Ultimate Wrestling Nation, and it's basically Nations Wrestling. We're going to be doing uh, contact prize fighting. Uh, there's going to be, it's going to be like a no holds barred uh, tournament for $250,000, and uh, it's going to take place in Dubai. We're going to be doing uh, live. We're going to be doing live TV tapes. We're going to be. It's going to be supported by 52 episodes of television. We're going to tour the Middle East, 12 different countries. Uh, we're going to have 60 live events annually. Uh, uh, every four months, there's going to be like a month-long tour. Um, then after that, we're going, to, we're going to continue to grow, and then we're going to be wrestling in every every city that has over a million, a million people. And we're talking North Africa, all the whole Gulf nations and stuff. We've got a performance center that is going to be having its grand opening in the next few weeks. Our performance center has 34,000 square feet. We've got two 20-foot, we just built two 20-foot WWF style or WWE style rings. And then we've got talent. We got guys that are going to be training like Dave Taylor, Tony wow. Sinclair, Frank Chick, Frank Chick Cullen. I'll be down there, you know, to help with the TV. We've got two swimming pools. We've got a running track. We've got a cardio equipment weight pit, steam room, spinning bikes, protein bar, and aerobics room, and a 100-meter full track, all in Fitness for Life down there in Dubai, right? And we're going to be able to process and get the uh, and get the applications and process the visas and applications for people from 195 countries. Anybody who wants to come and learn from some great professionals, we'll even get like, uh, we're going to have like guest guys come down like Dushin Thunder Lager come down and do like a do like guest uh, training and everything like that and then we got a pay-per-view we're planning on a pay-per-view the pay-per-view that we're planning on is going to be called ultimania which you know yeah ultimate wrestling nation right yeah and then our tv series the theme nights are going to be like monday night nation tuesday night titans wednesday night warriors thursday night thunder friday night fights saturday night slam and sunday night no holds barred thing is is if they go to ultimate nation ultimate uh ultimate wrestling nation.com they can get our phone number and and our and, and they can contact the website if if you're interested in getting trained in, in the sun where it's a little bit warmer and stuff like that we're taking applications now and um the the website's just up we also got a page on facebook you can find it at ultimate wrestling nation and this is, I mean, it's going to be huge. It's, uh, we've got support. We've got support from, from a, a media corporation in Saudi Arabia. And we've also got uh, some, some big support in, in Dubai that I really don't want to disclose at the moment, but this is going to be huge. We, we plan on competing. And the thing about wrestling in the thing about, thing about wrestling in the Middle East 
is the number one product on television in the Middle East right now is soccer. Can't beat it. Guess what the number two is? Wrestling. Professional wrestling. Wow. And there's been a, there's been a void left by the WWE, uh, and and we we expect to take that void over. This is going to be huge. Like I said, we're going to be training people from all around the world. We want to make it a really national, international product. It's going to be nation versus nation. You can either get behind your favorite wrestler or you get behind your favorite nation. Whatever you want to do, it's it's going wow. to be good. And it kind of reminds me of the old CWA days where it was kind of a national nations tournament, you know. So I, I'm I'm excited about this. I got pulled into it. Uh, you know, I got started talking to, to about this last like November, and uh, yeah, it's just it's moving along uh, swimmingly, and we're getting ready to to put the boat in the water and I can't, I, I, I can't wait, you know, so keep, keep your ears open for that. Maybe, maybe we can have another conversation once we're up and running and I can introduce you to some of our, our up and coming talent. So it'd be, yeah. it'd be really great. Yeah. Awesome. Wow. That's amazing. I had no idea it was going to be on the level of that, of that magnitude. So that sounds very exciting. Oh, I'm definitely interested to check it out. Yeah, you know what I mean? You know, if you're going to do something, you do it, you know, if you're going to foul, foul aggressively is what I've always heard. So if this is, I mean, this is, if you're going to do it, do it right, do it aggressively, make it as big as possible. And I'm just glad, glad I've got your platform to, to push it on. And, you know, guys from Australia, if they're listening, making, uh, like I said, and, and we're going to be able to put guys up, you know what I mean? There's going to be facilities and everything. Uh, this is and you're going to be able to spend, you know, your whole day around the training facility. There's going to be guys that are going to help you with nutrition and, and, and all sorts of stuff, help you in the weight room and make you better than ever, uh, make you the best possible performer that, that you can be, you know? Absolutely. So anyone out there, get in on the ground level right now. This sounds exciting. Ultimate Wrestling Nation, ultimatewrestlingnation.com. You can find them on Facebook. You can, I'm sure they'll, they'll have every platform out there, Twitter, Instagram, etc. That sounds very yep. interesting, sir. So uh, anyone out there, man, that, that sounds like a golden opportunity for anyone out there. Absolutely. Absolutely. You don't have to just uh, go to the NXT. You can, this is, this is a real opportunity. And then once you, once you get in uh, first floor character development and all that stuff, uh, we're going to be, we're going to bring in, of course, we're going to bring in, top talent from around the world guys that have been on the tv and stuff like that uh, as we're performing i know that we, we've already talked to ted dibiase he's going to be there in some kind of uh in some kind of capacity in the future uh we've got scott halls uh, cody hall is going to be there in some capacity in the future and like i said we're going to bring in a lot of that uh, a lot of those technical wrestlers to come help train the kids it's going to be i think it's going to be a lot of fun and of course you got you got sun and fun down there you got beaches in dubai um, it's just Dubai. If if you have if you've never been there, you don't know where you're missing. I mean, it's it's a good place. It's a really an international city, and it's it's a, it can be a lot of fun. Yeah, cool, man. I've I've been to Dubai a couple of times, but I was only in the airport uh, on the way to. Oh well, no, you got to get out of the airport, brother. <laughs> got to get out of the airport. I, next how time, many times I'll try. Happen to me? Yeah, next time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah we get this up and running. You can come visit us. Sounds good, bro. Sounds good. Uh, before we get to our little segment, Five Second Frenzy, I wanted to ask you, PN News, do you have any regrets from your time in the wrestling business? 
regrets? What do you say? Um, no, not really. I, I can't say that I did. I mean, what? Good. I mean, to 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 have regrets, then you then you you're admitting you've made mistakes. I mean, no, I I enjoyed it. You know, there's times when it was harder than others, but I enjoyed. And 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 I'm getting I'm getting an opportunity to give back again. You know, I I hope that I hope that some of the people that I've helped train and helped educate have learned from me, and uh, giving back is the best thing I can do from a business that I love to do and I did for over 30 years. That's brilliant, bro. And I, I, I like asking that question because I like hearing the guys say to me that they don't have any regrets because uh, I think it's a good thing to finish off on uh, for everyone Absolutely. out there who thinks that wrestlers who are retired or out of the business or nearly out of the business are old and bitter and blah, blah, blah. No, it's barely the case. There are a couple who feel bitter about certain things that happen, but generally everyone is pretty... Uh, happy with you know what they've achieved and who the person that they've become today i think so i think so i agree with that the ones that are bitter i don't know what they're bitter about usually most of them had a push and had a good run i don't know why they're bitter in the end you know it's uh, for me it's it is is it the business owes you nothing yeah you know the business owes you nothing so you take out of it what you can you know and and if you and if you didn't enjoy it you shouldn't have done it in the first Absolutely, bro. Uh, okay, so PN News, Five Second Frenzy is the segment. It's just a few quick fire questions. There's a few about wrestling, and there's a few about other things that you may like in life. Uh, so are you ready? I'm ready. Let's, let's do it, brother. <laughs> PN News, who is your favorite wrestler? That's a good question. I uh, Fit Fit Family. Brilliant, brilliant Dave Finley. choice. Yeah, Finley, great wrestler, tremendous talent. I was fortunate enough to work with him and be on with him on team on, 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 on tours and stuff like that. The guy for he's forgotten more about wrestling than I know. Uh, just tremendous. Always enjoyed watching him. Uh, immaculate professional and just uh, just an all around great guy. Awesome, bro. Uh, your favorite opponent you had over the years. Gosh, that's really tough. I don't want to make anybody. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. I've got to say probably Ice Train because we used to beat the heck out of each other. You know what I mean? <laughs> and, and you know, we'd have people in the – they'd write about us in, uh, in a German paper, and they said, oh, wrestling might be fake, but these two guys hate each other. <laughs> and we used to just beat the crap out of each other. So it was, it was fun. It was fun. That's cool, man. Uh, the favorite match you've ever had? I know there's what five thousand five hundred that you've you've had in your career, but uh, if you could pick one, oh, God. <laughs> that's really really hard. I don't know. I, I I'll tell you what. I worked with a guy out of England, Thunder, and yep. it was this. It was it was a, it was a title match with European Wrestling Promotion, and we had a really good match. That one, and then. Chris, the Bambi killer out of Austria, where we went, we did 11 rounds in Austria. Wow. And that was a really fun match. I really enjoyed that. It was in uh, Leoben, Austria, in front of a sold out house. And uh, yeah, that was a real fun match. Awesome. Uh, your favorite book? It's got to be, you know what? I got to go with the series, Wheel of Time series. Uh, it's got to be my favorite. It's, 
I'm a fantasy fantasy guy. Okay. But if I had to pick, if I had to pick an author, it'd be David Gamble. Would be my favorite author. Excellent. Uh, favorite TV show. Hogan's Heroes. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> great show, man. Great show. I watched one when I was a kid all the time, and I still, I still pick it up today. I still uh, watch it on YouTube, you know, in little, in little sense. I don't know the timing, the humor. I thought they were really good, and I'm a, and and a people, people that know me in the wrestling industry know I'm a real freak for timing, and I just thought that the timing, Clink Schultz, those guys. I mean, <laughs> yeah. the, the timing on that show was just outstanding. I agree. It, 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 it never gets old, even though it's it's been around for a long time. It never gets old. Well, I, if, I stop watching, so if I stop watching it for like five years or something like that, I'll go back and watch it and I'll pick up something that I missed. <laughs> All missed, right. You know what I mean? So it's always something new. I, I'll fall asleep. I'll, I, literally, I'll fall asleep every night to it. It doesn't, doesn't bother me. You know what I mean? I, I <laughs> Very good. Uh, your favorite film? Gosh. These are some hard questions. Um, I, I, you know, Leap of Faith. Steve Martin. He plays a uh, he plays a traveling preacher, and he ends up he ends up doing something good in the end without him, you know, unexpected, and you know, yeah, everything comes together. It was just De- Deborah Winger was in it, Meatloaf was in it. Uh, <laughs> just a tremendous, tremendous film. Steve Martin. I didn't. I didn't when I first picked up the film. I didn't. I didn't think Steve Martin was going to be a good preacher, but he did such a great job. Steve Martin <laughs> proved to me what what a talent he really was, you know, and, and doing that stuff. And I, yeah, Leap of Faith has got to be my favorite film. Cool, man. Your Steve Martin is incredible. Um, your favorite musical artist? Gosh, that's even harder. <laughs> I really, I really can't say that I have one. I mean, I used to be big into you two, but they're too political, and, and I, uh, yeah, it, it, it's it's just hard. That, that's a hard question. I got pass on it. No rap artists. <laughs> no, I you know I listen to a little bit of everything, you know. So I gotta go anything. I mean, my whole thing with when I was tagging with Buddy as the uh, as the Beach Boys, we went out to the uh, Fat Boys Wipeout. <laughs> so, so if I got any, any rap room, I'm going to have to go with the fat boys. <laughs> <laughs> cool, Brian. Uh, oh, no, I'll tell you what. I went, it was Salt and Pepper. Salt and Pepper escorted me to the ring at, in Knoxville, Tennessee for the Great American Bash. Uh, they escorted me to the ring, so I'm going to go with Salt and Pepper. Change it. I, they went with me before they did Lawrence Taylor. Salt and Pepper's got to be my favorite. Awesome, bro. Uh, your favorite food? Schnitzel. <laughs> schnitzel. Fantastic. I, you know, I, I make it myself. I love your schnitzel. It's, uh, yeah, I, I do nothing. You know, I, I, I can do pork or turkey, but the original veal, you just got to hammer it out really nice and thin so you can almost read through it. And then you just fry it out and you have it with a little bit of cranberry sauce. And uh, you can have a potato salad, potato salad, or fries, or mashed potatoes. I like schnitzel. Nice. Well, if you live in Germany, you better like eating meat. That's for sure. Uh, <laughs> uh, your favorite place to eat on the road? Gosh, I, you know what? Really, really don't have one. I, when I was in South Africa, I used to like going to uh, what was the hell? 
what's happening down there. I know there's a chicken place down there, but I, I don't have a particular favorite food chain. Texas Roadhouse is pretty good, uh, and then there's a there's a there's a steak place in Amarillo, and they do the they do that. They do a 72 ounce steak, and if you eat it within an hour, you get the whole thing for free. Oh my gosh! It's, it's even on stage. I never tried it. I couldn't do it. They do, <laughs> they do a nice ribeye. So. Nice, bro. Uh, the third last one on Five Second Frenzy is your favorite alcoholic beverage. I, uh, if if I'm in England, it's it's got to be cider. And uh, if I'm in Germany, it's beer. And if I'm anywhere else, it's usually it's usually some red wine. I do like a dry wine, shiratsu or something like that. I saw you drinking it. Let's see, I've got that yeah. right there. <laughs> Delicious. Wine's, probably, wine's the safest one, you know. Very nice. Uh, second last one, the naughtiest one of them all on Five Second Frenzy, your favorite female body part. Yes, I like it. Girl. <laughs> nice. girl, I'm an ass man. All the way. Nothing wrong with that. I'm an ass man too, bro. Uh, and uh, the last one here on Five Second Frenzy, your favorite curse word. Damn it, man. <laughs> Very good, I, I bro. For a lot more, but damn it, man, is my favorite to say. <laughs> cool. Well, uh, PN News, it's been so lovely to have the opportunity to talk to you tonight. I um, I'd learned a lot that you know I didn't know. Uh, about especially you know with ECW and things like that so it was really cool for me to learn about these things in your career and hear you tell these great stories I really appreciated your time and and as I you know as I wind this up I want to say to you that uh you know you should be very proud of everything that you accomplished in the wrestling business and you're about to accomplish because you know in the most isolated city in the world Perth Western Australia you have someone right here that appreciated everything you did my friend well, I appreciate that. Thank you very much. And I appreciate anybody that supported me over the time because I I am nobody without people like you. So I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you for giving me the time and giving me this platform to express myself and actually to put the, the, uh, my new uh, my new project with with the Ultimate uh, Wrestling Nation and everything like that. It's been helpful. You're, uh, you're a good man and you need to stay in touch and uh, try and get yourself to Dubai when we get, when we get rolling. Absolutely, bro. Definitely. I will stay in touch with you. I've got you on Facebook now and, and on messages, so we'll stay in touch and we'll be friends. All right. <laughs> yeah, let's do that. I hope you enjoyed it, you bastard. <laughs> well, thank you again, Peer News, and thank you everyone out there for watching here, the Insider's Edge podcast on the WZWA Network, and we will see you next time. Thank you.